If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me any more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. The text that we've chosen this morning to discuss is found in John chapter 14, 15 through 24, of course. You might want to open your Bibles and turn to that text because I'll be referring to that every now and then. Basically, this text and the next two chapters, chapter 15 and 16, the book of John, focuses on, on one major point, and that is that Jesus is saying that he is alive. He is alive. Without contradiction, although not without controversy, but without contradiction, Jesus is the most influential individual who has ever lived on this earth. He is not a figment of imagination. He is, he is not a character from a legend. He's not an artifact from archaeology. He's not... He's not an individual who has faded into obscurity and someone has just recently reintroduced to the world. Jesus is alive. And Jesus has influence. And he has more influence than anyone who's ever lived and continued to have that influence. And the reason is because he is alive. Jesus is alive. And that's what he's saying in John chapter 14. Now, when we talk about someone being alive, we're, we're talking about several things. Now, these men knew, that is, the apostles that, that were surrounding Jesus and that had become the emissaries that he was going to send into this earth, into this world. These men understood the character and disposition of Jesus. And part of that character was that he was alive. He was vibrant. He was active. He was lively. He was involved. When people came to Jesus, they came to an individual who was in, engaged in this world. He was engaged with people. And I'm, I'm sure if you can think back to any particular period in your life and with individuals that you can look at and say, well, when I'm around them, I just feel more alive. I feel more alive. Because that individual exudes life itself. And that's what Jesus did. They didn't come to Jesus because he was napping. They didn't come to Jesus because he was withdrawn. They came to Jesus because he was involved. 
He was highly involved. He started out that way when he was 12 years old. His parents took him. Luke chapter 2 gives us the example of it. His parents took him to Jerusalem, and while they were on their way home, they discovered that he wasn't with them, and so they went back to find him, and he was in the temple discussing the Scriptures. Now, the reason he's discussing the Scriptures is will become apparent a little later in this context. But he was discussing the Scriptures with the teachers of the law. And when his parents said, where have you been? He said, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? He was engaged in life. And as he grew older, the text says at the end of the Luke chapter 2, that he grew in wisdom and favor with men and God, which meant that he was a young man who was engaged in life itself. So when they were around him, when they were in his presence, he was a busy man. And they were feeling the life that was flowing from him. And that's the way we do it sometimes. And when we think about life, of course, we're thinking about something beyond just existence. When, when we think about life, we think about the quality of life. We don't want to just live. And so the doctor will, as we get older, the doctor will come along and say, Hey, have you, have you filled out this form? And the form is, what do you want to do if you get sick? It's, it's an end of life form. So th- they're asking you, well, when you get to the point where you don't want to live any longer, do you want us to keep bringing you back to life? And the answer generally is, if that's not, that's not life, just being in existence. That's not life. Life is more, Jesus said on, on several occasions. He said life is more than food and raiment. It's more than what you put in your body, and it's more than what you put on your body. That's Luke chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. And he said, he said also that uh, to the Apostle Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he made the statement that we might have life and that more abundantly. That we want to have life, and we have the promise of life that it now is and that is to come. So life itself involves activity. It involves being robust. It involves being engaged. It it involves the fact that we are active in our lives and we're busy and we're vibrant and we're alive. Well, that's what this text is all about. Now, this text is telling us in John chapter 14, and Jesus is going to make some some very confusing statements to his apostles. He's going to say, I'm alive. I'm going to die. I'm going to be alive again. And I'm going to go away, but I'm still alive. The reason Jesus is having the impact that he has on this earth, in this world, is because he is still alive. He's alive. There was something about Jesus that was beyond just being in existence, basically. In first John or in John chapter one or verse four, the text says, In him was life, and life was the light of men. Now that doesn't mean he was just alive, that he was present. It meant something beyond that. It meant something that he had within himself that he's going to share with you. 
But basically, he said, the text says, in him was life, the life was the light of men. In John chapter 5, verse 26, he says of himself, he says, for as the Father has life in himself, so has he given the Son to have life in himself. Now that's amazing. I can't say that to you. I cannot tell you because I'm alive, you're going to be alive. I can't tell you that. And I can't tell you that I'm alive in the sense that Jesus said he was alive. He had life within himself. He had the seed of life. He had the potential of life that would keep him from ever, ever disappearing. So, in John chapter 14, verse 6, he told the apostles, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the life. I can't say that. You can't say that. Mohammed couldn't say that. Individuals who have come along, Hippocrates couldn't say that. He was a great physician. Homer couldn't say that. He could write a a number of great things. Buddha couldn't say that. But Jesus said that. He said, I am the life. And he is, basically, he is alive. And then he said in John 11, verse 25 and 26, he said unto her, talking to, to Mary, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So he's, he's saying, I have something, I have a quality in me that does not exist anywhere else on this earth. And that quality, he's saying, is life. We know what life is, don't we? We know that, uh, that when, we, when we get tired and we, when we get weary, that so, if someone comes around, let's, let's say a special, especially a little guy, they come along and they will wear us out because they're so active and alive. We know what life is. We know what it is. So when we're talking about life, Jesus said, I had it. I've got it. Jesus was, was not the type of fellow that was a recluse. He was alive. He was active. And he was exuding that activity. And he was exuding life because he had life within himself. And here he's saying, I am life. I am life, and I can give you the same thing that I have. Wow, that's something, isn't it? But at the same time, he's saying, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm going to go somewhere. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, it says, this is the first time he said it. He said, from that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chiefs and priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day and be killed. So he's saying, I'm going to give my life up. He'll say later on that no man takes it from me, but I give it willingly. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 22 and 23, it says, While they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. They shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. Now, get it? He says, they will kill him. They're going to kill me. So he's going to surrender his life. And he's telling the apostles that. For some reason, it did not seem to soak in. didn't seem to soak in. Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 through 19. Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the 
into the uh, chief priests and the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. So now he's saying, I'm going to die. In John chapter 14, he's telling them that in the text that we were looking at. He's telling them, I'm going to die. But then he's telling them, I'm going to come back. Now, whoever has said anything like that? Who has ever said anything like that? I'm going to die and I'm going to come back. I will come unto you. That was confusing. It was so confusing that Judas asked the question. It wasn't Iscariot. But Judas asked the question, what does this mean? But look in chapter 16 of John. He says it again, and it's again confusing these people. He said, a little while and you shall not see me. And again, a little while and you shall see me. Because I go to the Father. Then said some of the disciples among themselves, What is it that he said unto us? A little while and he shall not see me. And again a little while and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father. They said therefore, What is this that he says? A little while. We cannot tell what he says. They couldn't understand what he was saying. And really, it's tough to understand what he's talking about. And it didn't clear up for a while, but later on it did. When Jesus died on the cross, see if I have the statement. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, I will, I will return. He said, I will come back. He's going to die. And then he said, I will come back. Now, in, in uh, the resurrection accounts that we have in the New Testament, we know that when Jesus was crucified on Calvary, that he was literally, actually dead. He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out. He didn't, he didn't go into a state of uh, suspended animation. He died. And the soldiers came to make sure that he died and put a spear in his side up and touched his heart, I'm sure, because blood and water came out. So they, uh, they were confident that he had died. Now, when Mary Magdalene and the other women came, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday after he had been crucified, when they came to the tomb, they came to prepare his body. They hadn't had a chance to do that because the Sabbath had fallen. They couldn't do it on the Sabbath. So they came, and it says in Matthew chapter 20, or in Luke chapter 24, verse 10 through 12, that it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of Jesus and the other women that were with him which told these things, and the disciples and their words seemed to them as idle tales. Now what they told was, when they got to the tomb, it was empty. And an angel told them, he was not there, that he had resurrected. And so they ran back to tell the disciples. And when they got back to the disciples, it says they believed them not. So Peter, John, Andrew, all the, all the apostles were together. And when they found out that Mary Magdalene and Mary and Joanna came and told them Jesus was resurrected. They didn't believe them. They didn't believe that he was alive. And yet, when and he comfort he uh, confronted a couple of his disciples on the road outside Emmaus, that is uh, recorded to us in, in the uh, book of John in chapter twenty and twenty one. They they came and found Jesus, and uh, he he confronted them and he said. He said unto them, in Luke chapter 24, the account is given, that he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, enter into his glory, and beginning at the scriptures, he, 
he, uh, he taught them all things concerning himself. So he resurrected. He came back. And that's what he said he was going to do in John chapter 14. He came back. His disciples were told that he was resurrected. They didn't believe it. He, went, he walked on the road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples and told them, confronted them and told them he was resurrected. And they still didn't believe him. So he appeared again to them and in John chapter 20 and he came. And here was a situation where Thomas was present. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe that he's resurrected until I put my fingers in his wounds of his hand and put my hand in his side. And when he did, then he said, my Lord and my God, he believed that Jesus had been resurrected. So here's one of the, here's one of the factors that took place. First of all, he said, I'm going to die. I'm going to go away. I'm going to die. But I'm going to get, become alive again. I'm coming back. I will return. Now, after that, he departed from them. In Acts chapter 1 and verse uh, 4 and 5, he was assembled together with the disciples for 40 days and showed himself alive after his resurrection, showed himself alive for 40 days, and they were able to be with him. And then he left again. So now here comes the confusing part for these fellows. He told them in John chapter 14, he said, I'm going to stay with you. I will be with you. But then he also said, I'm going to leave and I'll come back. But then I'm going to leave again. But now the next part of it is important. When he said, I'm going to leave again, he said, I'm going to stay this time. I'm going to stay with you. I won't go again. I won't leave you again. That was confusing to them, of course. But now, he, uh, the, the Holy Spirit brought the presence of Jesus back into this world. And here's where it becomes very important to us. He said, I am going to come back. But he said, the way I'm coming back is the Comforter, who is the Holy Spirit, will come back and bring me. Okay. The Holy Spirit is going to bring Jesus back into this world. That's what John chapter 14 says. It says, it, it, beginning at verse 17, it says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees Him not, neither knows Him, but you know Him. He dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So he's saying, and, and here's where it gets the tricky part. The tricky part is that Jesus is alive. The question is, Where? Where is Jesus alive? We know He's alive because we see His influence on the whole world. But Jesus is alive and He's alive because the Comforter brought Him back and He, he becomes alive in you. He lives in you. So the life that Jesus had, think about it. Jesus said, I have life in myself. What I'm going to do is I'm going to come back and put my life in your life. That's what I'm going to do. The several texts that tell us this, first of all, and I think this is important, we're talking about something that the world will never understand. If you want an explanation, a logical, critical explanation from the world, from all the world's experience without Jesus, 
If you want that explanation, it's not going to work. You'll never get the explanation you need for life in yourself from Jesus from the world. Because Jesus said, the world can't see me, and the world doesn't know me. Now, you have something special. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you've opened your heart to Him, and if the Holy Spirit can enter your heart through His words, then you can have life, and you will have that same vibrant life that Jesus had within Himself. Uh, I know this is this is hard to understand because we're 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 stepping up aside from what we've learned in school in public school, and now we're learning something from God, from God's Word, from the Holy Spirit, and He's saying, "I can make you alive. I came to give them life, and that more abundantly." John ten ten. That means that you're going to have something within yourself that Jesus had within Himself. And if you ask, ask me to explain it in natural terms, I can't do it. But I can tell you what the Bible says and how it works. In John 14, verse 17, it says, The world cannot receive Him because it sees Him not, and neither knows Him. In John fourteen nineteen, He said, Yet a little while, and the world sees Me no more. The world cannot see Jesus. No wonder the world pokes fun at Jesus Christ. They can't see Him. You cannot see Jesus. If you're in the world, you're blinded by your sins, you're blinded by your prejudices, you're blinded by your experience, you're blinded by everything that keeps you away from Jesus. But, when Jesus said, Judas said unto Him, Lord, how is it that You'll manifest Yourself to us and not unto the world? So Jesus said, it's not going to be an apparition. When you see Jesus, it won't be an apparition. You don't expect to see Him when you're on in, in your bed at night and see Him come through your bedroom door. He's not going to come that way. That's what John was saying. or that's, I'm sorry, that's what Thomas was saying. He's saying, unless I can see Him and put my fingers in His, in his hands, the imprint of His hands, and hand in His side, he said, I won't believe Him. But John saw Him. He came back physically. That's when he said he was going to do it. So he came back. And Jesus said to John, he said, he, he said uh, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen his physical form and yet have believed. Now the way we believe is because the evidence that is provided to us through the scriptures. I know that Jesus is alive. We know he's alive because the influence he has, he has upon this earth and the impact He's had upon this world. We know that. Where is He? Where is Jesus? How is He doing these things? He is in the life of every believer on this earth. Everyone who's opened their heart to Jesus and said, I want you in my life and has let the Holy Spirit come into their heart through the Word, then there's where Jesus resides. You say, well, no, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say that Jesus is in heaven? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 says, He's seated at the right hand of God. And Colossians 3, 1 says the same thing. So we know Jesus is alive in terms of the fact that He is in heaven. But he also, we also know that He is alive here on earth because we believe that Jesus can live in the life of a believer. 
That's where he lives. He, and he, that's what he said. He said, you shall live because I will remain. He said, not only will I live, but you shall live. Because I live, he said, you shall live. John fourteen twenty three. when uh, Judas had asked the question, Jesus said, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my Father will love him. Now that's, that's a key point. He says, he will keep my words. When the Comforter came, he was going to bring Jesus with him. How was that going to happen? In John chapter 16 and verse 12, he said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He will glorify me, he will receive of mine, shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. The Comforter came, and what the Comforter did was, he he provided the words, and the words of Jesus Christ give life. I know the world doesn't understand that. The world can't understand that. But Jesus said in John 6.63, He said, My words are spirit and they are life. Okay. If I can get the words of life into my heart, I can have life because that's where Jesus will be. In my life. In my heart. And He said, Because I live, you shall live also. Keeping the words of Jesus is the key. Basically, that's the key to His presence in our hearts. So when we talk about Jesus being present, we're talking about the influence He's having. And the way we understand the influence He's having is by consulting the words, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and seeing if this comports with what we're seeing in the activities of people who claim that Jesus is in their life. So if a person says, Jesus is alive in me, and yet they're ornery and vicious, backbiters, adulterers, fornicators, thieves, murderers. You know that's not true. That's not happening. So the words tell us whether or not He is in us. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to run around seeing if we can find the, the Word of God in everybody else. But I'm saying that's how we know that Jesus is in us and that He has that influence. We know that He does good. Whatever is, is going on in the life of Jesus, if He's in your life, He will produce good fruits. So we look for those good fruits in those who believe in Him. The Word of God is preached, and it penetrates the heart, and it provides the life that Jesus is speaking about. I know there are a lot of folks that believe that the Holy Spirit still baptizes folks. Now, Jesus promised the apostles that if they would go to the city of Jerusalem, that he would send the promise of the Father upon them, which he said, you've heard of me, in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were able to preach the Word. That was the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit, and to confirm that it was God's Word and not man's Word. So you say, well, what, why, why was the Holy Spirit given to people? The Holy Spirit, in His power, was given to individuals so that they could speak the words, and He said, my words are life. We have in our hands the New Testament, and it has been translated in over 2,400 different languages and dialects. 
has the word of God spread among civilizations and civilized people and people that are not, people that are in remote areas of the world? Has the word of God spread? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ spread to people and it penetrated their hearts? And yes, we can say it has. And when it does, it produces a different type of individual. People that believe in Jesus Christ are different. Why? Because Jesus Christ is alive in their hearts. He's alive. That's how, how does he get into my life? Well, he doesn't get into my life because I pray him in. He doesn't get into my life because I dream him in. He gets into my life because I open the book and I read the words and the Holy Spirit through the word introduces him to me and allows me to welcome him into my life. Let's, let's look at a text in Hebrews chapter 2 that, that sort of makes this clear and uh, it may, may help us understand what we're talking about in terms of the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 2, he's, he's talking about the, uh, the Word of God. And it says at verse 2, it says, For if the Word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedient received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs, wonders, with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to His own will. So he's saying the apostles went out preaching the Word of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation, the energy of God energizing. So he says he said here that the apostles preached the word and then he said the Holy Spirit confirmed the fact that this was the word of God with signs, wonders, and miracles. Okay. So now the apostles went out as they were told. They waited in the city of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, what did they do? They began to preach the word of God. They preached the Holy Spirit then was inspiring them so that they could preach the words and the words could enter into the heart and Jesus rode in on those words. He comes in on those words. You cannot, you cannot have Jesus Christ in your heart if you do not accept the Word of God, the Gospel. It just doesn't work. That's the way it works. Well, the world, the world may tell you something else. But the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit says, here's the word. Here's the way it works. Here's the way it works. You can hear the Word. When you hear the Word and you open your heart to the Word, then this is how Jesus is entered into your, enters into your life. Now, it's, it's a little more complicated than that, of course. Because when the Word of God is preached to you, then the next thing you have to do is, as he said in, in this, this context in, in John chapter 14, he says, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And the next verse, the next sentence says, And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Wow. Okay. You get the word. The word comes into your heart. You hear the word. You love God because you obey the commandments of God. And Jesus and his Father both come into your life. And what happens? 
Jesus said, I am life. John chapter 1 at verse 4, in him was life and the life is the light of men. Jesus is life. So if we can have the words of life, introduce Jesus, the Lord of life, and bring his father, the architect of life, they can come into our hearts and give us life. Wouldn't it be nice, don't you think, wouldn't it be nice if you get older that uh, you, you don't keep getting older and you don't keep losing life? That's what happens as you get older. You lose life. You see some, some little guy running around and you say, man, I wish I had that kind of energy. We're talking about life. He's got life. We're saying, well, I, I, just, I just don't seem to feel, feel good. I don't feel like I'm alive anymore. And so I'm, I'm starting to sag and I'm starting to get slow and I'm starting to lose my interest in things. And yet the Bible says that Jesus can give us life. Now that doesn't mean you'll trot around like a two-year-old, but it does mean that your heart will come alive and when the time comes in the resurrection, when Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of the life, he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Think about that. I think about that a lot. Boy, don't I wish I had my eyesight back. That's life. I wish I could hear better. That's life. I wish I had more stamina. That's life. I wish I could get around better, get up and down better. I wish all these things. I'm getting older because I'm losing life. But Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. So I don't have to lose that part of my life. I'm, I'm going to gain that in the resurrection. Don't you understand? Uh, Paul said in Galatians 2 at verse 20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As we get older and as we get through life, we become encumbered with all sorts of things that take that sap life out of us. Looking at Jesus, as, as he walked through this life, he was, he was active, he was vibrant, he was engaged, he was he, he was not only alive himself, but he rejuvenated people around him because he wasn't carrying any baggage. You ever think about that? Jesus wasn't carrying any baggage. He wasn't carrying the sins of his youth. He didn't sin. He wasn't carrying any baggage of bad deeds that he did before. He wasn't carrying any remorse, any regret, any fears. Jesus was free of all of that. And that's why he was such a vibrant individual. But me, I carry that with me. And yet Jesus said, if, if you'll let me into your life, Bill, I'll take that away from you. I will forgive you. I'll take that baggage from you. And now you can live with me. He will take up residence with his Father in my heart. And he does that because I let his word come in. The Holy Spirit introduces his word into my heart. And Jesus comes in on that word, and he stays. Now, let's get practical. Jesus is in my life. Why do I do the good things that I do? Because I'm letting Jesus take control of me. It's not me doing it, it's him. Yet, Nevertheless, Paul said, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Okay. I feel like I want to do something that's mean and naughty and nasty. 
And I turn to Jesus and say, Lord, how should we handle this thing? He instructs me through his word, the words of life. And I'll say, okay, Lord, let's do it your way. Guess who's living in me? That happens with you. That happens with me. That happens with anybody who opened their heart to Jesus Christ through the word, through the gospel, and allowed him to come in and take control. So when I want to look at something that I shouldn't look at, I, if I let Jesus handle this thing, he'll say, okay, Bill, let's not look at that. Lust the eyes, so I don't. If I look at something and say, man, I wish I had that. I'm going to see if I can't get that. I really feel bad because they've got that and I don't have that. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. You've got me. Okay, I've got life. I have something in me that the world does not have. I have someone in me that the world does not have. And that is Jesus Christ. And you know what? I was thinking about this. And I was thinking, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, the Bible says, that God is going to open the book, and He calls it the book of life. The book of life. The dead were judged out of those things written in this book. This is the book of life. This, this gives us life. Let's get started. Okay. We get started by recognizing that, like Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and salvation. So I read the book. And as I'm reading the book, I'm, I, it's dawning on me, hey, this, this Jesus is the Son of God. I'm getting that. And as I read more about it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give me the story. I'm saying, oh, wow. So finally, it, uh, it dawns on me as, I, as I'm reading, I'm saying, well, He is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. So I believe. I believe in my heart that He's the Son of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And I, I'm going to tell somebody that. With the heart man believes unto righteousness, the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I've read it, and I've said, oh, Lord, I, I believe. And then Jesus said, okay, Bill, let's start all over again. Your first start was no good. You got down the road, and you shouldn't have gone this way. So let's start over again. Nicodemus came to Jesus in John chapter 3. And let, right here, I'm going to tell you something. This world does not understand the subject of baptism. They don't understand it. They'll tell you that baptism is sprinkling. That's not what the word means. When John baptized people, he took them down in the river and dunked them and brought them out. Baptism means to dip. So the world says, that's foolishness. Ah, that does, that's not reasonable. That's a, that's. A, that's, that's not something we should do. That's archaic. We shouldn't have to dip people. We should sprinkle them. Or another person says, well, no, it's Holy Spirit baptism. That's what he's talking about. Holy Spirit baptism. You, you don't obey a commandment to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit baptized people to prepare them to preach the gospel. And they didn't do anything to, to have that happen. But baptism we're talking about, the New Testament talks about, is something that you have to obey. You have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which has delivered you. So baptism in the New Testament is something that you must do, not something that somebody does to you, but something you must do. Acts chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, down through about verse 32. When, people, when Peter was preaching, the people said, what must we do? 
They didn't say, what must happen to us now? They didn't, they didn't say something like that. They said, what must we do? And Peter said, repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's the gift of the Holy Spirit? Guess who that is? Jesus Christ. You baptize, you're going to get the gift. You're going to get Jesus. He, he, he's going to give you life. For the promises are to you, to your children, to all that are far off. Let's talk about baptism. John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, uh, he, he came to him by night and he said, Master, we know your teacher uh, come from God. No man can do the miracles you do except God be with him. And Jesus said, except you be born again, you shall not see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus was stunned by it. Jesus said, a man must be born of water and of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, remember, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, brings the Word. So a man is born of the Holy Spirit, the Word, and water. Born of water and the Spirit. In uh, Romans chapter 6, at verse 3 and 4, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into His death. Therefore, being buried with Him in baptism, we are risen to walk with Him in newness of life. Life. Because now Jesus Christ, once you're baptized and you're up out of the water, you've obeyed the commandments of God, you're out of the water, and there you are, and God imbues you with the life of His Son. Now what next? Well, what next is the most wonderful life you'll ever live in your whole existence. The most wonderful things will happen to you because Jesus Christ is in you. And, you know, sometimes it's hard for people to understand and, and to really appreciate that God and Jesus are actually in our lives. And, and we have something that the world doesn't have. We have forgiveness. We have peace. We have somebody with us. You know, sometimes we, we run across a person in our life that when they walk into a room... It says everything just lights up. They're the embodiment of life. We, we want to be around them. We want to kind of take part of what's going on with them. That's what Jesus is like. If you're around Him, everything is good. It is really, really good being with Jesus. It's the best thing in this world. The best thing in every world. Being with Jesus. He is life. God help you to open your book. Read about Him. Believe on Him. Repent. Confess His name. Tell other people, you believe in Jesus Christ. The world's not going to appreciate it. They won't like it. They'll make fun of you. They'll, they'll, think, they'll, they'll, they'll call you a religious zealot. They'll say you're in a cult. They'll say all sorts of mean things. But Jesus loves you. God loves you. And when the time comes, you've got life in yourself. When the time comes, you're going to go on. And you're going to go on in a very wonderful way because you've got life. You've got Jesus. God help you do that.